This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone is back with us to offer an update on this remarkable year in real estate and a look ahead to what we can expect in the rest of 2020 and beyond. Well, Pat, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get your insight and reaction and forecasts, uh, I want to recap what we've been through the past five months or so now. Uh, global pandemic, immediate change to how we transact business, record low mortgage interest rates, a red hot housing market, all at the same time. <laughs> so you have seen it all and done it all in 40 plus years. Uh this period has been truly remarkable. Put this in perspective for us. I mean, nothing like nothing you've ever seen or, or been through, right? Well, it's different than anything I've ever seen and been through. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's happening here that is exacerbating the level of concern and focus is the unknown. This is one of those situations in which we daily confront uncertainty about where it's going, how long it's going to last how bad the impact is, so forth and so on. So that's created a tremendous amount of anxiety. And I think we uh, daily explore the worst case scenarios. You know, I can remember the early 80s when the SML system collapsed. And uh, that was, a we'd never seen anything like that before. And then in 20, 2008 to 2010, we'd never seen anything like that before. Well, we, we undergo change. And uh, what's hard about this one is, that the change isn't sudden or clearly defined. So the uncertainty factor is a big issue here. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, we both talk to people around the country. I know we're on Zooms nonstop. Um, So many people have told me that the 2008 meltdown uh, and, and going through that has helped them react and adapt and pivot the most overused word of the last six months. Um, That, Plus, I guess the push or for many people, the pull uh, to improve technology also has helped. How important were those factors in helping the industry as a whole to adapt to this this time around? Well, the the interesting thing was that we're in a highly regulated industry and being in a highly regulated industry, change does not come easily or uh, or let's put it this way. You're sort of adverse to change. You're trained to be adverse to change. The uh, 2000, the Great Recession uh, made people actually actively manage and react in order to survive. And uh, I think the skills that came from that, uh, going through that, has helped people in this downturn. They've, they've understood downturn, excuse me, this pandemic. It hasn't been a downturn for us, but it has caused people to have to make decisions. It's caused people to have to think outside the box. And I think the uh, Great Recession gave those people that went through it an advantage in the sense that they learned to react outside of just the regulatory environment, the regulated environment that we exist in. Now, I know with the Fed, they learned a lot as well uh, last time <laughs> around, <laughs> the hard way. Uh, and you're a big fan of the action they took this time around, right? Uh, very much so. They've been, uh, you know, people, the media doesn't, I don't think the media fully grasps uh, how tenuous the international financial market can be. Uh, there's a lot of overnight trading. There's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of overnight debt. There's a lot of things that go into the market that are not clearly understood. And so the Fed made sure that the market continued to operate. The Fed made sure that nobody was going to pull the trigger or back out or or that we were going to have any sort of major problem. Uh, the, the Candidly, the politicians cannot react quickly enough to withstand a major financial market disruption. We saw that during the Great Recession. You know, We saw the market lock up and we saw a major collapse uh, of the financial market. The Fed prevented that this time. They kept the market viable. They stepped in and made it real clear that they were going to backstop all the debt. Uh, so, yeah, the Fed has been wonderful. They've lowered rates. And candidly, I think the rates are going to stay down for another three or four years. I mean, we are seeing very, very low interest rates. And until you have a vibrant market and you have accelerating inflation, the Fed's not going to do anything with the rates. So the Fed has been a godsend. They really have been. Well, that's good to hear. I want to ask you more about rates in a minute. Uh, but here we are. Uh, we now, instead of uh, boom towns, we have Zoom towns. Uh, <laughs> it's this reshuffling of housing priorities. We talked a little bit about this before we hit the record button here. Um, you know, in some cases, you've got flights even beyond the suburbs to the exurbs to even small rural areas now with, you know, in some cases with direct flights to major markets, etc. Um, you know, we expect things will return to normal at some point here or a new normal, whatever that is. Is this migration we're seeing a bit hasty or do you think we're seeing what is a solid, maybe long-term shift that's here to stay? Well, I think it's a little bit of the latter, but probably not to the degree that, that some people anticipate. Um, you know, one thing that's really interesting to me is when I was, when I was young and getting started, uh, owning a home was the number one priority for any young couple. Uh, you know, you, you became an adult. One of the first things you did is you bought a home because it was a way that you could accumulate wealth uh, was your place of your own. It was just basically a, a an initial step that you made into adulthood that everybody uh, everybody considered to be of paramount importance. Um, the 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 priority of owning a home dissipated over the last thirty or forty years, and I think you know a lot of people talk about the millennials had no interest in owning a home. Well. The pandemic has really made us all refocus on the family, made us all refocus on basically our life, how we live our life, and the things day to day that we confront. And so, home ownership has raised, uh, has increased significantly as a priority for everybody, including millennials. Now, along with that, getting out of a crowded environment has become a, a byproduct of concern over the pandemic. And so, movement to from the the, the urban market to the suburban market, some movement from metropolitan areas to uh, um, primary markets to secondary markets. Um, do I think that's going to be a huge, uh, a huge migration? No, but it will be noticeable. Uh, but the home ownership is, I think that's reestablished now as the number one priority for young Americans. You know, it was interesting in early March, a lot of people hitting the panic button and Rightfully so. All the agents I talked to around the country were, were really concerned. And, of course, things uh, picked back up very quickly. Everybody I talked to is busy everywhere, all around the country, with very few exceptions. That said, you know, it's that time where you and I have had these discussions over the years. You start to look ahead. Any areas of concern here? Uh, you're talking about geographic areas or economic areas? <laughs> 
Well, either or both. I know, okay. you know, the joke that all real estate's local. We all live by that. So it's that's going to play in. We know there's some markets that we'll talk about here that are probably a little, maybe a little overheated. But, um, you know, just generally speaking uh, at this point, you know, what are what's a what's a concern of yours? Well, one of the concerns is income inequality, and it's being exacerbated by this recession. You know, the uh, you know, I would say we we are experiencing a ninety percent recovery right now. And the, the the element of the economy that hasn't recovered is essentially the leisure, the recreation, entertainment, leisure tra- uh, travel. Travel is recovering actually more than more, most people think, but still is going to be uh, suppressed a bit. Um, but you're seeing a lot of those people who are hourly uh, wage earners in those in those segments of the economy are are getting hit hard by this, and there is income inequality there, and that's going to this is going to exacerbate that problem, and it's really unfortunate. You know, this recession, if you will, this pandemic-induced recession, is really different than any recession that uh, historically, because. Uh, there's still tremendous amounts of capital available. There's still tremendous amounts of investable capital available. So I think you're in a 90% uh, economy right now, waiting on a some sort of medical breakthrough, some sort of vaccine or antiviral drug that'll return us to a 100% economy. Um, but you know, you, you're going to have a we're going to have some hangover from this income inequality. We need to deal with it in this country. We need to we we need to change some things because. Uh, we're becoming, we're losing the middle class, or at least losing the bottom half of the middle class, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, you touched on uh, the record low interest rates, and your forecast is that's going to continue for another three or four years, which is good for the real estate market, certainly. Um, Uncle Sam has dumped a ton of money into the economy. Uh, historic run on Wall Street, that ended briefly, and then it came roaring <laughs> back, right? Um, where's the bubble here, right? I mean, there's, there's, got to be a bubble or bubbles, right? Well, what you're seeing is the net impact of all the capital that's got to be put to work. And, you know, almost every other recession, you have an imbalance, you have the bubble burst, and basically you take a while to reaccumulate the ability to invest and re-energize the economy. This is different. We basically turned the TV off, right? I mean, we basically shut down the economy in an arbitrary manner. All the capital was still there. We were probably as healthy as we've ever been economically. And that capital is still there. It's got to go to work somewhere. So people are moving it around. There's uh, very little high interest type investments out there. So people are putting their money in the stock market. Do I think the stock market is overvalued? Certainly some parts of it are. Although if you look at the S&P 500, most of the movements occurred in about a dozen stocks. Uh, you know, so you, you, it's really hard to say specifically where the bubble is. There's probably certain aspects of real estate that are over overheated. Certainly certain parts of the market or uh, uh, stock market are overheated. Um, we're, we're, we're all watching the uh, commercial real estate market to see what the impact will be from the uh, pandemic on, on that. But um, it's hard to say where the bubbles are, but there's just tremendous amounts of capital out there. People are looking for places to put it to work. Yeah, you touched on this earlier, and I want to take a deeper dive into it. Some of the statistics, uh, I know you're a big numbers guy, CoreLogic HPI forecast flagging five markets as very high, quote unquote, uh, risk of price decline. Vegas forecasting an 11.3% drop over the next 12 months, mainly because uh, 63% of the people, as you touched on in that market, are either in construction or hospitality, restaurants, etc., and then in Florida, across the country, 
FAU College of Business economist Ken Johnson reports that Miami-Dade is 19.2% above its long-term price trend, and he calls it the strangest housing market in 40 years. What's your take? <laughs> well, I, I, I think that that uh, that definition applies in certain areas. And uh, I am a little bit surprised at some of the markets. You know, one of the things that happened in Florida after the Great Recession is we had a tremendous amount of foreign investment come in. Um, and that really drove prices up. And then also you have a aging U.S. population. So people, as they get older, tend to uh, relocate to warmer environments. So those two things have really uh, impacted uh, some of the uh, southern markets that have overheated a little bit. Now, the amount of foreign investment in real estate has dropped dramatically in the last year. So, uh, we'll, you know, are we going to have a deflationary impact on prices? I don't know. I don't think so. But uh, I think you'll see basically those markets that are that are have appreciated a lot will definitely level off and maybe decline a little bit. We'll see. Yeah, Florida all by itself. I mean, not to set that aside, we've all got a lot of friends and do a lot of business in Florida on the media side, on the real estate side, and very in tune with that market. And, you know, the the statistics are crazy. The amount of people inbound moving into Florida literally every week, every month, that's got to be driving some of that appreciation. That That is what has driven the appreciation. And it's interesting, the... Uh uh, the reason I mentioned the foreign uh, influx was because they tend to focus on big markets like Miami-Dade, and the retirement influx tends to focus on secondary markets and upstate markets. So Florida overall has had a tremendous in, uh, influx. So has Texas. Um, and in Texas, uh, you know, and, and both of those states, uh, I think, offer some tax advantages that have appealed to people. So, um, you know, you look at certain parts of Texas, they like uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area has had a tremendous influx of business and uh, of people. So we'll see what happens here. Um, I don't I can't really tell you whether I think it's a bubble that's going to burst. I think that's more a function of debt to uh, debt to equity and the ability of people to maintain their mortgage. So I don't know that you're going to see any um a tremendous decline in value because people are failing. And, uh, you know, if we, if the legislature keeps the, keeps the forbearance and some of the uh, financial support going, and I think we'll be fine, but we do need another uh, CARES Act, if you will. We need one more version of it to get us to the point where a vaccine or some sort of medical breakthrough uh, alleviates the pandemic. Well, when you see Alaska Airlines in the midst of a pandemic laying off thousands of people announce that they'll have nonstop flights from Seattle to Fort Myers and Naples starting this fall, kind of tells you something about the Florida market, particularly that side of the market where you're right. A lot of people focus on Miami-Dade and rightfully so. That uh, That's a huge market, but there's so much growth up north, uh, you know, that area. And uh, it's pretty remarkable to see what's happening in that state. Obviously, as you mentioned, primarily due to a very friendly tax environment, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh you know, and that goes back to my earlier comment about income inequality. And I don't want to get into politics, and I don't want to get bogged down here. But we we have some uh, we have some significant disparities in our country that probably one of the things is maybe this pandemic will result in is a heightened awareness and maybe maybe some corrective action, a positive, logical 
corrective action that will uh, will help it long term. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know, you mentioned that you're constantly rebalancing, you know, looking ahead, what could possibly happen, what are the concerns. So let's let's take a look at that. Here we are in August. Uh, it's been a phenomenal year for everybody in real estate. Very very thankful for that. As you look ahead toward the end of the year, um, and you're managing your business, what concerns do you have? What should what should our agents across the country be managing for? What what concerns should they keep an eye on? Well, you know, the, the biggest concern I have is uh, right now is that we have some sort of fairly significant disruption because the financial support being provided by the federal government. Uh, ceases uh, due to the inability of Congress to come up with a one more one more uh, round of legislation. I do think we need uh, we do need support uh, in terms of additional unemployment and uh, forbearance and so forth and so on. We probably need that through in the first quarter. So I think if we can get there, we're fine. Um, there's a lot of uh, you probably have heard all the news about potential vaccines being developed. And uh, people are getting more and more optimistic that Q1 of next year will start seeing some sort of medical solution. Now, one thing that's happened right now that I've been actually I've been pleased to see is we have about 80 percent of the population under mandated mask uh, edicts. And consequently, we've seen the seven day moving average of infection start to fall fairly dramatically because we have such a large percentage of the population having to wear masks. So maybe it takes us a while to learn, but maybe we're getting it. And uh, if we can see the uh, the infection rate drop, if we can see this, if we can see this pandemic start to abate by Q1 of next year, I think we're going to be fine. Uh, if we don't, you know, if it keeps going, then you're going to actually start seeing the impact of the recession, a prolonged recession, and that will change a lot of things. So let's let's hope we get something going. Let's hope we. Uh, Let's hope we maintain a high level of mask usage and uh, abate the uh, level of infections fairly significantly. It'll be interesting to see, and I want to get your take on this. You know, it depends where you are, certainly geographically, how this has been handled, how it's being handled right now. Some who ignored it early on certainly can't literally afford to ignore it now. And as you mentioned, 80% of the country under a mask mandate. So, you know, the last thing we need is another full stop shutdown, right? It feels yes. like now that the the government leaders, primarily the governors and the mayors of most major cities have, have got a handle on this now in terms of managing that piece. Certainly you can't, I mean, there's not a lot you can do for the restaurants and the bars, right? Uh, that That is what it is. That's And that's a tough situation. But uh, for the most part, we've got this modified uh I don't want to call it a shutdown, but this modified way to measure this now to at least keep it from getting out of control, right? And that's a good thing for the economy. I totally agree. And if we, you know, um, we, know we, we, we have a wonderful country and, the, and we have a high degree of personal liberty in this country. I think sometimes we forget that we have an obligation as a citizen of the country, you know, to work together to try to solve problems. Uh, you've seen, you know, my, my little sister's a doctor in New Zealand and they, uh, they locked down and they confronted it immediately and they, they, they don't have a problem. Uh, you see uh, uh, in Europe a, a, tremendous, a tremendous success in lowering the infection rate and revitalizing the economy. So it maybe took us a while to get there because we're a little bit more of a diverse political 
entity uh, with a great deal of power in the states. So, uh, but we do seem to be getting on top of it now. Infection rate is starting to come down. If we continue this, uh, you know, for another six months and then we get a medical solution, I think we'll be fine because again, there's so much capital on the sidelines to reinvest in the economy. The economy will restart fairly quickly. It's already restarted. The, you know, the best, uh, you know, the overall, I think, consensus right now is we'll have about a five and a half to 6% drop in the GDP this year. Um, some people are getting a little bit more optimistic about that being a little bit lower, but then a fairly significant growth rate next year, because again, the capital on the sidelines will restart the economy very quickly. Yeah. It's always good to catch up with you. I remember our conversation in March at the outset here and I was concerned about it. We as a family shut down, you know, a week to 10 days prior to, uh, you know, the mandates in the state of Washington. And I felt good about that. I'd rather be safe than sorry. And we've been very fortunate. I know we've lost so many lives and we talk about business on this show, but this has had a significant impact on people's lives when people have lost people. Right. And we, we certainly don't want to lose sight of that. So, um, you know, but in talking to you, you know, at that time, I remember how serious you were, uh, as a CEO running a company of, of this is a big deal. And we got to tackle this. And you did change the way we've all done business in literally every business, um, and here we are throughout this summer, people taking breaks, mental breaks as much as they can, trying to manage you know the mental aspects of this. And looking ahead now, you know, we've come, you, know, you kind of start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You seem very positive and you're, you're always a realist. You're not telling us on this podcast or anywhere else, you're not trying to puff up the market in any stretch. You've always been very candid about things. But, you know, in knowing you for over 10 years, you seem very positive. You, you you seem upbeat. And it sounds like you've got a very positive outlook for the next six to 12 months in spite of everything. Yeah, I do. Uh, but, you know, Brian, and I think the, uh, you know, I, I'm a little concerned, be candid, be, I think I'm a little concerned about supply chain management and, uh, you know, we just leveled a tariff on aluminum with Canada and they reciprocated and we're having an ongoing battle with China. So uh, from an economic point of view, I'm probably as worried about uh, trade disruption and supply chain disruption as I am about uh, the overall impact of the pandemic. Now, I don't mean to make light of the concerns about the pandemic with health and family, especially workers, like you said, in restaurants and bars and people like that. I feel very, very bad that, that they, they're getting impacted. But again, I think the amount of capital and underlying health of the economy is very, very good. So we'll see what happens here. We do need to have some sort of significant breakthrough medically, either an antiviral vaccine or antiviral drug or a vaccine or something that lowers the mortality rate and uh, gets people uh, able to re-engage and actively move because um, you know people talk about how things are changed and changed, but they don't change. People don't change easily. I, I have met, haven't met anybody yet that's really all that happy working at home nonstop. I just don't think that's going to, you know, 8% of our workforce worked from home prior to the pandemic. It may go up to 12% and you'll see more people doing Fridays or Mondays from home. But basically, one of the things we all need, we're a social animal. We need to interact with each other and we like to have adventure. We like to have new experiences. And so... Um, this goes on for another year. We're going to start wearing on people's mindset and then you get negative. When you get negative, you, you either do stupid things or do nothing at all. Uh, so we hope we don't get there. 
But I am overly, I'm optimistic, uh, except for our current position on trade. And, uh, you know, one of the things about, and I'm rambling a little bit, so forgive me, but one of the things about supply chain, you know, people say, well, we'll just bring the manufacturing back. It is not easy. It is not easy. Uh, we have 80% of all global trade is supply chain trade. And if we disrupt that or permanently damage that, we will impact the global economy. And you've heard me say this before, 40% of everything made in the world is made by U.S. corporations and half of it's made overseas. Uh, so um, I, I'm sort of surprised at how cavalier some people are about supply chain management and the impact of tariffs and so forth. So not to get off the pandemic issue, but that, that one is bugging me and that one has me concerned in the background. So we'll see what happens there. Overall, though, housing market sounds like it should remain robust as far as you're concerned. Well, you know, two things are going to happen, especially for the title insurance industry. One, uh, you know, low rates are going to facilitate refinances. Uh, about a month ago, they were saying there were 16 million homes. Now, if you have uh, continued to have even moderate appreciation, we're going to refinance a lot of those homes and add to the potential amount of homes that can be refied as the as they appreciate. So that will start winding down, but it should wind down gradually because, again, I don't see rates going up. So I think refinances will be good all the way through this time next year. Uh, quite a bit less than, than now this time next year. They'll decline in value, but there's going to be a lot of work to be done. Resales should stay very, very good. And it really appears to me that millennials are going to want to buy homes. So uh, the thing that has to happen that actually is re-engaged fairly quickly is new home construction, especially affordable starter home subdivisions, right? And we didn't have starter home subdivisions for about eight or nine years after the Great Recession. Uh, this year, a couple of major national builders have started uh, started constructing starter home subdivisions. Uh, I think you're going to see that re-engage and re-emerge. And if that happens over the next six to nine months at any level, then you're going to continue to see a significant housing market for the next couple of years. What are they going to do with all those condos downtown, Pat? Uh, well, the, the amount of household formation is so high that uh, I don't see us, I don't see uh, supply catching up with demand for five years. I just don't. And so they're going to be rented out. They're going to, you know, the people might not buy condos and they'll be, but they'll be rented out. Well, that's good to hear. Well, always good catching up with you and uh, stay safe. Well, you too, buddy. Thank you. You take care. Patrick Stone, founder and executive chairman of Williston Financial Group and WFG National Title, joining us on the Insider Report. Thank you for partnering with WFG. To learn more about our unique process, systems, and technology, visit WFGAgent.com. And to gain access to cost-effective solutions for your agency, visit WFGBlocks.com.